Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. 2021, we need the grace of God in our lives. And I just really believe that, you know, even as like leading church, and many of you would lead businesses and, and you've got things going on in your own lives and even in your own finances and I don't know how you planned for this year. Maybe you've got, you know, a great budget for 2021 and it looks amazing. And, uh, and you've set it out. You've got systems and, and strategies for your business and how you're going to handle the challenges that this year will bring and, and all of that. Okay, fine, right? But can I just tell you that I think that the grace of God is more significant than any strategy that we can come up with. And I'm not ready to throw out strategy or or anything like that. And hey, come on, let's keep that budget. You're going to need that this year. But come on, we need the grace of God in our lives. I just think we we need His grace over everything that we do. And so um, I can tell you right now, I'm a product of God's grace. God's grace has changed my life. God's grace has changed the life of uh, my friends, my family, my wife, my kids. I've seen His grace at work. And, uh, and I believe that the same grace that has changed my life can absolutely change yours too. You know, I was a teenager growing up. I, I, I really didn't want to know anything about the grace of God. I didn't want to know anything about church. Uh, in fact, you know, if, if you were to Ask me what, what my thoughts were about church as I was growing up. This is well documented from many of my sermons. Um, I, I, I did not want anything to do with church. I didn't want anything to do with God. I thought the church was full of the most judgmental people. It's like, where do you find these people? And then you gather together? That's weird. So, so judgmental people come together under the banner of God and they join in this group and they call it church. Literally, like I just thought, I would never want to go to church. I, I would walk in and there would be all of them and just me totally separate. They would identify me pretty quickly as the guy that was not as holy as them. And so I thought that, you know, church was honestly, it was just a place for really self-righteous people. And then amazingly, I ended up uh, leading a church. So how about that? That is amazing. But but if you were to ask me what my thoughts were about faith, right? Forget church for a minute. Let's just talk about faith. If you were to ask me what I thought about faith, I would say, yeah, I can explain it to you. It's basically a bunch of stuff the church says you can and can't do. It's rules, actually. It's a lot of rules. You got to follow them. Uh, There's a lot of do's and and a lot of don'ts. Actually, mostly don'ts. Basically, it's all don'ts. You can't do this and you can't do that and you can't have this and you can't have that. And that's what church is really all about. And then, um, you know, God is really this, this being that is the antithesis of fun. He is against all things that could be considered fun. And it's weird. God is, I think, maybe employed full time to just make you feel bad about all that stuff you've done, right? This this is faith. This is this is how it works. This is what it's all about. I don't think I would have necessarily articulated it like that, but deep in my heart, it's probably one of the things that kept me from wanting to go to church for such a long time. If you ask me about God, I'd say God was a, 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 this, this being, transcendent being that, that knows all of the stuff that you've done wrong and, and knows everything, all of your mistakes, and He, and he brings them up with you on a regular basis. 
And if I start to think about the kind of environment that I would like to be in, I'm like, I've got 99 problems. I don't need to add that to my current life. Like, why would I want to get around a bunch of people that are going to tell me all the stuff that I've done wrong or maybe even all the mistakes that I've made? I don't need God to do that. I got married. My wife can do that adequately, right? I mean, gosh, if you have people in your life that can get around you and just tell you the truth about you. And if you're single and you get married, I promise you this, your spouse, will eventually start telling you the truth. So, so you don't even need God for that. I didn't need God for that. My wife is gifted in this in an amazing way. She has in her memory banks an expander file full of all the stupid stuff that I've done. At, at will, she can access those files. And if she wanted to, she could bring them up. But our marriage is one of grace, so she just never brings it up, you know. <laughs> but she could absolutely do it if she wanted to. Man, why would I want to go to church? Why would I want to be filled, uh, you know, go to a place that's surrounded by people like that? You know, before I, um, before I made my way back to church, I had this friend in high school. His name was Paul. And I remember specifically after high school, Paul would always, um, he was one of these guys that, that always had a reason for doing something. So he would call me up sporadically and say, hey, can we catch up? And I'll be like, what is your angle? What do you want? What, why are we, what are we, what's going on? You know, he'd say, come on, let's catch up. Let's have a coffee. We would sit down to have this coffee. And he'd just be asking me about my life. Hey, how's everything going in, in your life? And I would, you know, tell him a little bit here and there. And then, you know, he would start to tell me, some story about something that God had done in his life. And I was like, I know what you're doing, Paul. I know what you're doing. I, I, I see your angle. Every time we catch up, you just want to tell me some little thing that God has done. He wasn't, didn't want to be too obvious, but I said, I know. You're trying to convert me, aren't you? You want me to become one of you. Well, I'm not, I'm not interested, but you know what? It's an interesting thing because some of the stories started to stick. He told me this story this time where he went snowboarding at Mount Hotham. And during the day, he lost his mobile phone. And so he said he went back that night and he, and he prayed to God. He said, God, I've got a lot of information on that phone. I've got a lot of contacts on that phone. Um, I need... Uh, to get that phone back. So I'm just praying in, in Jesus' name that, uh, that you would make that phone come back to me. And so he was snowboarding on the mountain the next day, just before lunch. And he felt like God said to him, hey, just stop where you are. So he's snowboarding. So he stops and he looks down at the ground and in the groove of the snow cat that combs the mountain to make the, all the snow flat, in the groove of the tracks of the cat, he sees sideways his mobile phone and he reaches in and he picks it up and he turns it on and it still has battery and it completely works. I really didn't want to hear too many faith stories, but that one stuck. I thought, I don't care. That's a good story. Like that is, and, and that is an absolute miracle. Like that is an, an impossibility for it to happen. So, so these things, they started to sort of get to me, right? But I just couldn't see what Paul saw in church. And I discovered later on that there was perhaps a reason why I couldn't see what Paul saw. 
There was a reason why he was having this incredible experience with, with God and he was trying to tell me about it. I realized that there was, there was a pretty good reason why I couldn't see what Paul saw. I want to read a scripture to you. This is out of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 to 4. It says in verse 3, And even if our gospel... Now, the gospel... Before I go any further, because the rest of this is not going to make sense if you don't know what that means. The gospel is the greatest news that the world has ever heard. The gospel is the message of Jesus Christ, the pre-existent God coming from heaven to earth to live as a human and die in our place. The scriptures say that the penalty for mistakes or let's call it sin is death. And so it, he came from heaven to earth in the form of a human being. And then instead of us paying the penalty for uh, all of our mistakes, Jesus stepped into that place for us and paid the penalty for our mistakes. Now his sacrifice was so significant that even though he died 2,000 years ago. He didn't die for just his mates called the disciples, and that was enough. In fact, the significance of Jesus' death and the magnitude of Christ dying was so huge that He died for all people for all time. So that means that today, even if you have made mistakes and He died 2,000 years ago, the significance of God dying is so dramatic that by faith, if you confess that Jesus Christ has paid the penalty for your sins, then the penalty has already been paid and you enter into a relationship with with God by faith through Jesus, right? Come on, that was a pretty good explanation. So many of you are Christians. You should hear that and your heart should just be beating out of your chest. You know, you don't ever want to get too familiar with church that you forget the beautiful simplicity of this message we call the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. So this is what he says. Because it's a great message, but there's a problem. And he says, even if our gospel is veiled, so it's a cool message, great message, amazing message. But if you can't see it, what good is it to you? It says it's veiled to those who are perishing. So let me explain that for a minute, because when it says it's perishing, what does that really mean? He says, well, you know, when we talk about perishing, we're talking about being eternally separated from God. See, if Christ hasn't paid the penalty for your sins, then you need to pay the penalty for your sins. And you need to decide who's going to pay the penalty before you die, because after death, you will go to eternal, uh, a place with God and spend time with Him eternally, or you'll be eternally separated from Him. So it says, in their case, the ones that don't know Him, that haven't prayed for Jesus to forgive them of their sins, He says, the God of this world. Now that's not the God that we serve. It's the God of this world, aka the devil. It says that the devil has blinded the minds not the eyes, but the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. I had this thought one day. I thought, wait a minute. Some of these stories that my friend Paul has been telling me have started to sort of get to me. I started to think, wait a minute. What if, what if this is actually real? What if God really does exist and He's everything that I'm told that He is? And what if it's just that I can't see it? What if I just don't realize it? It's a 
funny because I started to think back about my life and all the decisions that I had amassed over my life. I thought, you know, I've been wrong many times in my life. Just ask anyone that knows me. I've been wrong many times in my life. Why would I be so certain about this? I'm just so certain that, that, that I don't want anything to do with God or so certain that, you know, questions may be about His existence. Well, I mean, I've been wrong so many times. Why couldn't I also be wrong about this? And that is the kind of thought that alters destinies. Because if you just consider for a minute that you're not right, and most people think that they are. That's why you have the opinions on pretty much everything that you have an opinion on. You just, if you thought something else, that's what you would say, Right? But I thought, what if I was wrong about this? Now, if I'm wrong about this, it's pretty dramatic. It's pretty serious. So I thought, I, I just need to probably have a bit of a better look at this. Years ago, um, Sarah and I decided that we were going to have kids. One of the things that we wanted to do was baby-proof our house. And the parents that have kids here today, those that were being dedicated, we know what it's like. You're putting things across handles and duct taping stuff and you are putting, you know, things that fill the PowerPoints to make everything safe. But there is, for all the work that we did, the truth is the most dangerous object that we ever kept in our house was our bed. It, it was. Because at the Bottom of the bed, we had like a, I think, what did you call it a, a footbed? It's the bit of timber that's at the bottom of the bed where your feet go. And so this bit of timber came up and, and it, it runs as this bit of timber. And I can tell you exactly how high. It's this high. <laughs> this is exactly how high it is. Exactly. It has um, a corner that's kind of sharp, right? And it is exactly this high, Okay. And so this thing, right, um, I probably injured myself more on this bed than I've injured myself on anything in all my life. We don't have that bed anymore. We did a ceremonial burning of it. I chopped it up. We actually sold it, but it's someone else's problem now. But, but it was my problem for a while. And the most obvious thing that you say is, right, come on, are you serious? Like beds aren't small. Like how could you injure yourself on it? <laughs> what? Why didn't you just avoid the bed? Great question. The reason I didn't avoid the bed is because I only ever injured myself with it when the light was off. Every time I would flick the light off and then go do something around the house and then walk straight back into the bedroom. Bam. Every time I had a permanent bruise. Do you know what? You know when you've got a bruise and you get hit in the same spot repeatedly? It's just like it hurts, you know? And so anyway, this is the thing. And, and, you guys are going to be so glad that you came to church today because if, if there was a deep, profound and spiritual moment, it's this one right now. So if you like to take notes, get out your iPhone and, and, and be prepared to take this next note. This is important. Let, let me tell you, this is astonishing. The bed was still there even when I turned the light off. Can you believe it? The bed was still there even when I couldn't see it. It still existed, right? And so I know you are glad you came to church today. You're like, really? This, this is bright church. Hang on, it gets better, right? Because so, here's my point. My point is being spiritually blind isn't affirmation that God doesn't exist. It's just affirmation you're spiritually blind. That's all that is. I'm pretty sure God's not there. Well, that's a wonderful 
perspective and opinion, but just because you're blinded to him doesn't mean that he's not there. We, 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 you know what we just figured out? You're blind. That totally makes sense. And Paul the Apostle is saying that the God of this world, that the devil has blinded the minds of unbelievers. How does he do that, right? He blinds the mind of unbelievers with lies. And there are many layers or many ways that he will approach blinding people. He will lie about God's existence. But if you figure that out, he'll lie about God's goodness. But if you figure that out, he'll lie about God's acceptance. I mean, there's just multi-layered lying that's going on from the devil, right? And, and if you do figure out that he's real and you suddenly understand that, then he will come to you and say, hey, God is angry with you. He rejects you. He wants nothing to do with you. Because as soon as he realizes he can't hide God from you, what does he do? He tells you that he doesn't want you, that God doesn't want you. And why wouldn't God want you? Oh, and the answer is so clear and obvious because of all that stuff you've been doing. Because of all your mistakes. And I don't care how good you think you are, right? The truth is, you know that you're not perfect. If you think you're perfect, you could be single right now. Because if you had a spouse, they'd tell you the truth. If you have a mom and dad, they'll tell you the truth. If you have a brother and sister, gosh, your family will tell you the truth about who you really are. So let's not get deluded for a moment and think, oh, no, I, I'm, I'm good enough. I, I reckon I can do it. No, 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 no. You, you, you're not that perfect. And so what the devil wants people to do is to take the bait. Now, I'm just going to lay it out for you so you can see it. This is the bait that he wants you to take. He wants you to know, once you've realized that God's real, right, that all of the wrong stuff you do, let's call that sin, that that makes God angry, specifically with you. Ah, but there is a way to make God not angry with you. You know what it is? To be really good. And that's the bait. Right there. The bait is if I can be good enough, I can come into God's presence. Oh, you think that this is just something for people that don't believe in God? You know how many Christians I know that get caught up in the issues of sin and shame and guilt. I mean, this thing, this, this just messes with people all the time. And the bait is, is that if you're good enough, God will accept you. Let me tell you why this works so well. The devil loves to play to your ego. He would love to help and make you think that you could be good enough, that you can do enough. We live in a performance orientated culture. That's how pretty much everything works these days. If you're good at something, you get paid more to do it, right? When you're good at something, you're accepted in certain circles. It's just the way that our performance orientation culture works. You're rewarded for effort. And I've discovered that our culture in many ways, despite how much they would say that they are secure in who they are, the truth is a lot of people are insecure. A lot of people are looking for acceptance in the world today. And that's where the devil loves to get at people's minds. If you do enough, you'll be enough. Guess what? It's never enough. Even... He even tried this on with Jesus. Do you remember the story for those of you that go to church where Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil? Do you know that story? Nobody knows that story. We're gonna do a lot of Bible work this year. A lot of Bible work, a lot of Bible work, right? Start reading the scriptures, okay? 
So there is a story about Jesus being led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. What does the devil say to him? Isn't it all about his performance orientation? Isn't it all about his identity? If you really are the son of God, then why don't you turn the stones to bread? If you really are the son of God, if you, then you should. It's all about performance orientation. And there are some major problems with this. So here's the thing. Today, I'm gonna tell you two huge problems with this performance orientation, workspace mentality approach to your relationship with God. Problem number one, just pretty obvious by now. You will never, everyone say never. never. I just wanna know that you got it. You will never be good enough to get into a relationship with God. Now I'll admit this is the low point of the message, okay? It's gonna get better. But you will never, be good enough to be in a relationship with God. Not on your own, not from what you've done. You'll never be good enough. You're not perfect, right? Problem number two, the penalty for sin is death. That's serious. In fact, Romans 6.23 says, and eternal separation, it would add that. So the devil's hoping that you walk in this repeated cycle of failure where you try hard, but you mess up. And then you don't want to come to God because you feel guilty. And then somehow by miracle, it happens, but then you mess up and you go away from Him again. Come on, this is the story of human history. This story is played out throughout the Scriptures. If you, if you read the Bible for thousands of years, this is the story of Israel. They just went through the same process, tried to earn their way to God. They failed. Romans 3.23 says that all have failed uh, or all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Say all. You know what that includes? It includes the person sitting next to you. They, they, they have also failed. Don't let them try to trick you about this fact, right? No matter how holy they are. Think of the best person you know, holiest person you know. Many, many of my leaders and my team are thinking of me right now, okay? You're not meant to laugh that much. It includes your row. It includes your mom and dad. Those beautiful kids we saw today. Yep. Them too. Maybe not that, but you know they're going to grow into a mistake maker, right? Because their relationship with God can't be just on the perfection that they have for the rest of their lives. Come on, this is, this is the repeated pattern. If you read the scriptures, what, did it, what does it say? The story for Israel, apostasy, servitude, supplication, salvation, and repeats, just an ongoing pattern. I think too many people, even today, are caught in the same repeated cycle of trying, failing, shame, and rejection. Can I tell you that if you have been stuck in that loop, that is the devil's plan for your life, not God's. And I want to read a scripture to you today. And I want to start it in a very specific place, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, because it's almost like the beginning of this sentence interrupts the cycle that I'm talking about. Listen to this, but God. This is the pattern for humanity, but God. People are stuck. They cannot go close to Him, but God. People feel like their shame will keep them too far from, from Him, but God, but God. Being rich in what? Do we have this up here? Come on, let's get some scriptures happening up here. You gotta be able to read this. But God being rich in mercy. God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us. 
Even when we were dead in our trespasses, translation, when you made mistakes before you did one thing to make God love you, you didn't make Him love you because you were so awesome. That's not how that works. He actually loved you way before all of that. It says He made us alive together with Christ. And listen to this. This is so good. By grace, you have been saved. Saved from what? Oh, from the eternal separation. That's what that's all about. It says in verse 6, that He's raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Now, if there was a verse that was going to underpin everything that this year is about, I mean, the Scripture itself, grace upon grace comes out of John chapter 1, verse 16. But this one, this one is my favorite, probably my favorite Scripture in the entire Bible. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is how it works. It's by grace you have a relationship with God through faith. He says, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God not a result of your perfection, not a result of all the stuff you were meant to avoid, but you didn't avoid, not a result of the mistakes that you've made or the lack thereof, not, your, not down to your behavior, not your performance orientation. No, 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 no. This is not a result of works so that no one may boast. We got to stop believing the lie that God has rejected you because of your sin. And before you start to hear anything in your mind, come on, don't talk to me about the vibe or the feeling or the sense you get. If you have a vibe or a sense or a feeling and it contradicts the Word of God, that's, that's why you got to read it. Because this is what He says. Stop letting the enemy of your soul try to interpret the Scriptures for you and just go back to what the Word of God says. And if you read what the Scriptures say, you'll understand that you having a relationship with Him has nothing to do with how good you are and everything to do with how good He is. Come on, someone get excited about this. This is the greatest message that the world has ever heard. Here's the truth. In your darkest moment, the darkest moment of your life. And I feel like even as I say that, have you noticed that the devil has like, he has an expander file in 4K resolution who can play back to you the mistakes that you make. In your darkest moment, you were totally loved. That's what that scripture says. When we were dead in our trespasses, before we'd even done one right thing, it was there in that moment that you were totally loved by God. Come on, what do the Scriptures say? For God so loved the world. He didn't love the world because the world was perfect. Take a look around. Now, we haven't become more moral in the last 2,000 years, right? For God so loved the world in its brokenness. For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son that whosoever should believe in Him will what does it say? Come on. You'll never perish. For Jesus wasn't sent into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world would be saved by Him. That's why He came. That's what it's all about. God doesn't love you because you're perfect. Look at what it, look at what it actually says. It says because of His mercy, His love, His grace. And that's why we call the 
gospel good news because it's, you know, it's all on him. And it's almost like as I say these things, for some people that needed to get this today, even some people that are Christians, it's like the light goes on. And what was failed is now revealed. And what we couldn't see before, it's now so obvious. You could never do enough and you never have to because it's not about you. The, the hero of your story is not even you. The hero in your story is Jesus. The hero in your story is what He's done for you, what He does around you, never you. The devil loves to play to your ego. He loves to make you the hero of your own story. Look what you can do. But the Scriptures say, look at what He's done. I wanna make four points, that's it, and then I'm done. Four points out of that Scripture from Ephesians that I read out earlier. This is the first one in verse seven. It says, His kindness, translation, forgiveness. His forgiveness is through Jesus Christ. Why Jesus? Because He's the only one that's paid the penalty for sin. That's why you can't go to Buddha. That's why you can't go to Allah. That's why you can't go to any of these. No one has paid the penalty for your sin or your mistakes. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. He is the one way to God. And so it's through our relationship with Jesus by faith in what He has accomplished for us on the cross that allows us to right now be in a relationship with Him. And it's all grace, it's all grace, it's all grace. It's all about Him. It's all about what He's done. It's about what you believe. Number two, verse seven, it says that He has a measurable grace for you. That's a phrase that in the original, it means that His grace surpasses you. Oh, come on, that's good, right? Unless you're so holy that you can get ahead of His grace, but you're not. You're not. You should have people in your life, like I said, that will tell you the truth about you. You are overwhelmed by the grace of God if you have a relationship with Jesus. It overtakes you. It overshadows you. It goes before you and around you and in front of you. You are completely swallowed up in the grace of God. It surpasses all of your mistakes, all of your sin. And it's so significant that Jesus Christ died, that it's not just for you, but it's for the person next to you. It's for your kids. It's for your mom and dad. It's for your brothers and sisters. It's for, for everyone. The significance of God paying the penalty for our sins is so great. His grace is so amazing that it overshadows every sin that everyone has ever committed. In fact, come on now, there is not one thing that you have ever done that His grace can't cover. So there is nothing or no reason that you could never come before God, not one thing. You could be in the middle of it right now. And today you felt uncomfortable about coming to church. I've been there. I didn't want to go to church the first time either, but I went in against what my head was trying to tell me. Don't go in, don't go in, right? What did I expect to find judgment? What met me grace and mercy in my time of need? I've learned I never stop needing His grace and I never stop needing His mercy. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter the mistakes that you've made right now. Even if you're caught up in the middle of a cycle, a repeated pattern in your life right now, His grace will overwhelm you. 
It surpasses every wrong thing you've ever done. Point three, verse eight, it says that you have access to His immeasurable grace through faith. That's, that's the active ingredient, hey? It's the faith. It's faith that allows you to enter in to that relationship where you're surrounded by His grace. You gotta have faith in Him. I don't wanna make it super spiritual as well. Like, you know, it's not like, well, what degree of faith? Enough that says, I just believe. It's so simple. It's not complicated. The gospel isn't complicated. The faith of a child, it's just enough to say, I think this is true. I actually believe this. That's enough faith to receive His immeasurable, overwhelming and surpassing grace. Point number four, verse nine, it's not a result of your works. You can't earn it. Here's the crazy part. The moment you start trying to earn it, it's the moment you start to lose it. And I'm not saying that you lose your relationship with God, but the people that try to save themselves by their own works are the ones that end up in trouble. Because grace, salvation, it's a gift that comes from Him to you. All you do, receive it. That's all you can ever do when it comes to this. All you can ever do is receive it. Come on, if I was gonna sum this up in one thing, I would, I would say this. Jesus saved you without you. Stop trying to save yourself. Job's been done. He saved you without you. You, you didn't do, add anything to it. He saved you without you. Stop trying to save yourself. Jobs, it's already done. And I know that there's so much of this message today that honestly sounds like it's for people that maybe don't know who God really is. Truth is, a lot of Christians are gonna get caught up in the same cycle. Made a mistake kept my distance from God. Somehow worked my way back. Now I think I'm okay. Why? Because I've been pretty good. I've been doing a great job this week. I've been well behaved, right? It's, it's, it's not how any of this works. Maybe the reason that you, maybe the reason you've never ever asked Jesus to come into your life, maybe the reason you've, you've never said that is because, honestly, let's take a step back. Maybe you were blinded by the God of this world. You have to consider that it's a possibility. Maybe that's it. Maybe the God of this world, is what He's really done is He's tried to find a way to make you not want to be in an environment where you would hear this kind of message. So what's happened to you? Oh, you got offended with church people. You found reasons like I did at the beginning of my journey to think about what kind of environment this would be and who people would be in it, how they'd act and how they'd treat me. I mean, gosh, the, the, the lies just never end with him. He'll do everything he can to convince you that God isn't here. And if you get, discover that God is actually here, he'll do everything he can to keep you from this place so that you can never encounter the truth of what his word says. That's why he'd rather translate it for you in your mind. Here's what I want to do. This is really simple. Why don't you close your eyes for a minute? I want to pray for anyone today that hears this and says, I know this is true. It's like today, it's just been revelation. And it doesn't matter whether you're watching online today or maybe you're sitting here today. Come on, this is a moment just between you and God. 
if you've never given your life to Jesus and today by faith you say, I actually believe this. Maybe you're so far from Him that you just wanna make a decision to draw near to Him and you say, I just, I wanna surrender to God today. Right now, why don't you put up your hand as a sign of surrender and say, that's me. I wanna receive Jesus today. I wanna follow Him. I believe this message. If that's you, just pop up your hand. I'll see you. No one else is looking. I'll just pray for you. And then after that, we can finish. Thank you, Jesus. Well, come on, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna pray this prayer together and then we're gonna worship God, all right? So let's say this. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me, that you died on the cross for my sins. I receive you today as my Lord and Saviour and I choose to follow you every day for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for listening to the Bright Weekly Podcast. We hope you're encouraged today and we'd love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to brightchurch.com.